as a leader of creative people, your job is not to do the work. Your job is to lead the work. And this is a fundamentally different mindset, right? Which means a lot of people need to ask the question, should I even be a leader? Should I even aspire to that role? Because a lot of people want to be the leader, but far fewer people want to actually do the work of a leader. Hi, everyone. I'm your host, Karen Bond, founder and creative director of House of Bond, the interior design studio in Vancouver. Over the past 15 years of running my firm, I've learned a thing or two about what makes a creative business successful. Everything from sales to operations to marketing. I mentioned that I have a Netflix show, right? Well, I've always said that in order to grow professionally, you have to grow personally. Leveling up requires pushing past your comfort zone, taking risks, and sometimes making mistakes. This podcast covers all of the above. I talk to inspiring entrepreneurs and prolific creatives about their own business journeys. The stories include acts of courage, moments of self-discovery, failures, victories, and all the learning in between. My goal with this podcast is to build community and serve you by providing advice, insight, and aha moments that you can apply to your own business and life. Take what speaks to you and leave the rest, but join me on this journey and welcome to my show. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. Here we are with episode three. And if you have been one of the listeners who have listened to the first two episodes and have been sending me comments, thank you so much. It is so great to see and read and hear how many of you have really been loving these episodes so far. Sounds like a lot of you have been taking a lot away from these conversations. And I am so excited to continue on this train with my guest for today, Mr. Todd Henry, who is an author. He has written six books, including Herding Tigers, which is the main topic that we're going to cover today. When I read Herding Tigers, I had so many aha moments because the book is all about leadership and specifically leading creative teams, which by the way, is not easy. So if you're in a position of leadership and you're working in any kind of creative industry or field, I really believe that this work and this book is going to resonate with you. This doesn't mean that you have to be the owner of a creative business. You could be working within an organization as a leader, whether that's a manager, a team leader, or something along those lines, this book is really gonna help you with some strategies and tactics for motivating your team, speaking to your team, organizing your team, and helping your team really do amazing, prolific work. So not only is Todd a author, he's also an international speaker, and he's also a podcaster. Now, he's been podcasting since 2005, so he's definitely an OG podcaster, and you'll you'll sense that on today's conversation because he's incredibly poised as he speaks, and he's just a wealth of knowledge. So I feel very lucky that he joined me on this podcast, and we got to do this interview. I know you're going to get so much out of this conversation, so I'd recommend grabbing a pen, get a notebook. There's going to be some aha moments and some really great takeaways for you. So let's jump in to this amazing conversation. 
to just know a little bit more about you and how it is that you got into writing and specifically how it is that you got into writing about creativity and leadership. Yeah. So I, um, I went to school, studied marketing, uh, and then like any good marketing major, I did a tour of duty in the music business right after school. Uh, and actually was a performer for a number of years and, you know, wrote songs and traveled and played music. And then as these stories often go, I, you know, met my wife and she convinced me that let's see, music business, gainful employment and marrying an amazing woman. Like you can have two of the three, but you can't have all three. So I chose gainful <laughs> employment and marrying an amazing woman. And so I came off the road and ended up, um, through a series of circumstances, ended up as the creative director for an organization and uh, at the time, there were just a handful of us on staff, and we grew that to several dozen people over the course of a couple of years. And so here I am, I find myself in a situation where I'm trying to lead all these incredibly talented designers and writers and all these people. And we were producing great work, but I was really struggling to keep the team inspired and motivated. And, you know, what is it that they need from me and how can I give it to them? And um, I started seeking out advice from some of the other people here where I'm based. Um, you know, we have a ton of creative agencies here in town because we have a couple of really big companies here where I live that, um, you know, do a lot of brand marketing. And so I started reaching out to creative directors and asking them, Hey, how do you keep your team inspired? How do you keep them fresh? And they looked at me like I was crazy. They said, what do you mean? We just burn through people and hire new people. That's like, that's basically <laughs> yeah. our strategy. Yeah. And I thought, well, that doesn't seem quite right. So I thought, well, okay, there's no place to have this conversation, so I'll start one. So in 2005, I started a podcast called The Accidental Creative. Now, this was in the very, very early days of podcasting. Think like literally- Well, yeah, 2005, you know, like, that seems like yeah. forever ago now. <laughs> It was crazy. Like we, we, we had to not only like create the content, but we had to educate people about how to even listen to the content. So we were telling them like, okay, it's easy. You just drag these files over to your iPod via a firewire cable. Right. And then you can take them with you anywhere you go. I mean, it was like so crazy That's rudimentary, so funny. but, but the podcast, um, really took off. I mean, suddenly it was one of the top podcasts on iTunes at the time. And I realized I wasn't the only one struggling with this. There are other people who are also trying to have these conversations. And over the course of a couple of years, I started getting invitations to come and present, to speak at companies, you know, these incredible companies. So I was still trying to do my job as a creative director, leading this team of several dozen people, while I was also, you know, flying back and forth to the West Coast, to the East Coast, and like taking red eyes to get back to lead a meeting the next morning and all this crazy stuff. And I thought, you know, I think probably I need to start looking at launching out and doing my own thing. So I started a consultancy, um, was shortly thereafter offered a book deal by Penguin Random House. And that was kind of how the first book, The Accidental Creative, came about. I can completely relate to what you're saying, being a creative director myself and uh, running an interior design studio. And we have uh, it's just shy of a dozen people. And so when I, I mean, it doesn't surprise me what you're saying about how when you started having this conversation about leadership and strategies and ways that you can inspire and, and lead, especially a creative team. Um, it doesn't surprise me that it resonated, that that conversation resonated with a lot of people. Because when I found Hurting Tigers, and I think I was just 
maybe on Amazon one day looking for leader creative leadership books is probably what I searched. And your book popped up. And from page one to the last page, I, there was it just it spoke to me so much and resonated. There were so many things in it that resonated with me um, that I, I just think that this work is is so, such important work because where else do you have these conversations and where else can you find some of this information? Um, so and when you were leading, when you were a creative director, was that in the music business or what kind of organization no. was it? Okay. No, 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 no. It was it was actually a, a pretty large nonprofit, actually. Okay. Um, the, and and so it was it was kind of a different space, right? And but but we had all these incredibly talented people who um, had come from you know other organizations, other fields, and so it was it was a really interesting mix of you know people who wanted to to do good work that was doing good in the world, but they sort of wanted to step, maybe step out of that kind of corporate rat race for a while. So it was, it was an interesting scenario because you had people who passionately cared about the work we were doing, who were these incredibly talented people who could be working anywhere in the world. As a matter of fact, several of the people who were on the team, you know, at, you know, in the years since have gone on to like creative direct some of the biggest you know, glow, like music tours, like some of the, the biggest bands in the world, they've produced like films and music videos for that everybody has seen, you know, music that everybody has heard. So it's kind of this incredibly talented group of people. So part of it for me was like, I'm trying to play catch up with these people because they're so unbelievably talented. And it's, you know, I'm sure you probably have had that experience as, as well, where you're just like, you're surrounded with such talented people and you kind of feel like, I mean, at least I felt like I look around and I'm like, I might be the least like technically talented person in this room, but I also know that I'm probably the person best equipped to lead this group of people because of my perspective and, and my unique combination of talents. But it's always an interesting thing, right? When you encounter someone who like is a, like I'm a writer, but like I have been surrounded by people who can just write circles around me. You know, even though I've written like six books, it doesn't matter. Like when you encounter somebody who just can write circles around you, basically your job as a leader is to say, okay, what do you need from me? How do I give it to you? And then how do I stay out of your way? Right. And <laughs> let you kind of do your thing. Um, that's a great place to be, but it's also a scary place to be for a leader of an organization. Well, And I think what you're talking about is a great um, segue into the book, Hurting Tigers, where maybe you can just talk a little bit about where that title came from. Yeah, that was, um, again, you talk about being surrounded by really talented people and letting other people lead you. Um, that title came directly from my editor, Nikki Papadopoulos, um, at Portfolio Penguin Random House. Uh, she, we, I think the original, my original title, I'll tell you, Karen, like my <laughs> brilliant, incredible title was something really compelling and unique, like leading brilliance or something, you know, that that's so compelling and yeah. so catchy. And, um, and Nikki was reading the manuscript and in the manuscript was this line where it said, you know, many people say that leading creative people is like herding cats, but I disagree. It's more like herding tigers. These are powerful, majestic creatures who can do incredible things, but also can turn around and rip you to shreds, you know, if you don't lead them properly. It's so true. And it was kind of just like a, yeah, it was just like this witty sort of throwaway line. And she's like, that's the title of the book. And then they came back with this cover concept, which you've seen, which is this like really amazing blue backdrop oh, with like a tiger I have it, sitting I have it in it right here, sitting on yeah. my desk. 
Yeah. Yeah. And it was kind of this really bold, like tiger sitting in an office chair kind of thing. And I thought she was kind of like joking with me when she sent it. I'm like, you know, that's definitely not going to be the cover of the book. And she's like, this is a hundred percent going to be the cover of this book. Like we're not arguing this is going to be the cover. So, you know, sometimes like I'm the, the person who's like leading creative people and like leading creative, you know, directing creative. And sometimes we need the perspective of other people because we're so close to the work. And so in this case, both the title and the cover concept, which ended up, by the way, being the thing that people talked about maybe more than anything was the cover and the, and the title um, came directly from somebody else just speaking truth to me. So when we're too close to the work. Sometimes we have to take a couple steps back and be willing to listen to others' opinion. It's so true. And I, I kind of see this work or the book is, I mean, you've just done an amazing job at forensics almost into the different moving parts of the way a creative team operates. And um, maybe I'll go into uh, a part of the book that really stood out to me, which was when you talked about uh, creative teams and creative people need two things, which are stability and challenge. And that those two things kind of need to be in balance in an organization or with the work in order for creatives to thrive. So when I read that, I was like, oh my God, ding, 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 ding. And um, I had never heard it break broken down that way before or explained that way. So maybe you can go into that a little bit and, and talk about that concept. Sure. Yeah, so this is really the framing concept for the entire book, which is that talented, creative people need two things that are in conflict with one another. The first thing they need is stability. Mm -hmm. Stability means they need a clear and predictable field within which to do their work. So they need clarity of process, clarity of expectations, clarity of communication. They need to make sure that the rules of the game aren't going to change halfway through the project. And we've all been a part of organizations where you, know, you get kind of part of the way into the project and suddenly somebody three levels up in the organization decides to weigh in and say, yeah, we're going to completely change everything that we've been doing. And then the whole project is thrown up in the air and people get frustrated and exasperated. And over time they start to say, you know what, just I'm going to wait until you tell me what to do. Like, I'm not going to put my own energy and thought into this because I know it's all going to change anyway. So just tell me what to do. And that's not a healthy place for talented people to work. Eventually they're going to get frustrated. They're going to seek better horizons. So, And isn't that the heart? They, I just want to jump in there just for a second. Isn't that the heart? Well, for me, maybe this is my experience is that that's one of the most difficult challenges that I face is inspiring people uh, Yeah to do the work and to think about the work rather than have people wait for me to tell them what to do. And that's something that I'm yeah. constantly trying to navigate. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's difficult, right? When, especially if you're in a, an environment where so much of the work is driven by a person or by a brand, especially if it's sort of like maybe a personal brand or a personal perspective, right? Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I struggle with that myself because, you know, I'm, I'm the one who's kind of leading the work. I'm leading the teaching. I'm leading the, the creative on so many things, uh, so many of our projects. And so that's, that is definitely a challenge. And for people who are in that situation or for any leader of creative people, um, there's an entire chapter in the book about this. We have to transition from leading by control to leading by influence meaning that instead of telling people what to do, we need to teach them how to think about the work, ask a lot of great questions and teach them the why behind the work, the strategy behind the tactics, which is difficult to do when we're under pressure to deliver. But that's part of 
creating an environment in which talented people thrive. So that stability piece is absolutely essential. But the other thing that talented people need is challenge. They want to be pushed. They want to try new things. They want to experiment. They want to take risks. They want to develop their skills. And so they need to be pushed. They need to be given permission to do that. They need to be spoken to, spoken into. You know, they need talented, creative people want to be seen and they want to be known. They want their leader to say, I see you. I see what you're doing. I see what you're capable of. And oh, by the way, I know that you're capable of things maybe that you don't even know you're capable of yet. And so I'm going to speak those things into you and I'm going to encourage you. I'm going to put courage into you and push you and not let you settle for less than what you're capable of. So that's great. But when we increase challenge, we tend to decrease stability because now we're building the bicycle while we're trying to ride it, right? As we increase stability and predictability, we tend to decrease the amount of challenge people feel because now we're just doing repetitive production work. So, right. And you don't leaders, want people to get bored when, while they're no, doing of their course. work. Yeah. 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 That's right. That's right. So, for leaders, part of the challenge is we have to figure out for each person on our team, which is that's where the real challenge is. We have to figure out for each person what level of stability and challenge they need personally in order to thrive. Some people are just, and I've, I've led many of these people in my life, you wind them up and you point them in a direction and they just go. They're like the Energizer Bunny. They're just like, go, 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 go. And they never stop. Other people are need more frequent check-ins. You know, hey, how am I doing? Is this okay? Do you like this direction? I think I'm going to go this way. That doesn't mean they're less talented. It doesn't mean that they're insecure even. It just means that they might need more stability in order to, to thrive, to feel like they're on the right track. So we need to understand that for each person. We can't just put a blanket level of stability and challenge and expect everybody to thrive. We have to give people what they need individually and strategically in order for them to do their best work. Oh, I mean, I as you're talking and saying that, I it just... It emphasizes that leadership is, it's not an easy, it's not an easy role. It's not an easy job. And when I hear you say that, it it reminds me that, oh my gosh, you have to approach each individual as unique. Um, and not only that, but you know, I was just saying this to my team. So we do interior design. And even though we have a clear process from with the way that we take a project from start to finish, each project is so nuanced. We have, you know, there's a different client. They have a different set of goals. There's different timelines, different budgets. Not only do we do work in many different industries, but even if we're working within one industry, those variables are always there. And so we're talking about a lot of variables with the projects itself, with the creative work, and then also with the different individuals on your team. I feel like that's a yes. lot for leaders of creative teams to manage. It is. And, and I'll even, I'll go one step further because I, I understand a little bit about that world because my wife is also an interior designer. And so okay, I understand cool. <laughs> and to some degree, I understand the, the unique challenge also is you're often dealing with people where the stakes feel really high. It's like, this yes. is my love. This is my home. This is the place where I'm going to be living. And it's like the stakes are so high and, you know, things are not cheap to do, right? When you're in that space, I mean, like things are just expensive to do. Yeah. It just costs yeah. a lot of money to do this. And so, you know, people like feel the weight of that, you know, the clients feel the weight of that. Sometimes in the corporate world where you're dealing with clients who have you know, a $30 million budget or something for a project, there's a lot of like slush and, you yeah. know, you can sort of like get away with like taking a little for more sure. time or, you know, but when you're dealing with something that feels that eminently personal to someone, 
the stakes feel really high. And so you know, you're not only dealing with people, helping people on your team do their best work, but also, you know, you have to sort of assuage the, the stakeholders and help them see, you know, to, which probably is part of your job is like helping them see maybe two or three steps ahead. Like, okay, this, and then let me paint a picture for you of how this is going to go, what this is going to be like. It's going to be amazing, right? Totally. And anticipating and, and kind of anticipating any of the maybe problems or issues that could come up to put them at ease yeah. or and really spelling out what that process looks like so that they are along with you for this journey and that um you're not you're not fighting or butting heads at any point with with the stakeholders or with your team. Right. And so this gets to an important point. I'm glad you said that because it gets to a really important point, which is as a leader of creative people, your job is not to do the work, your job is to lead <sighs> the work. And this is a fundamentally different mindset, right? Which means a lot of people need to ask the question, should I even be a leader? Should I even aspire to that role because a lot of people want to be the leader, but far fewer people want to actually do the work of a leader. Okay. Which is I to have, we have to hit pause right here because you, you're touching on something that is so relevant to, and I've been thinking about this so much. And even I was rereading sections of Hurting Tigers last night, and I was rereading exactly that point of your job as a leader is not to do the work. Your job is to lead the work. It's a completely different role. It's a completely different job. And it, to your point, when you say that, not asking yourself, do you really want to be a leader? Because I think it is a different skill set and it is a very different skill set. And it comes with a completely different kind of responsibility than doing the work or producing for my team, whether it's, you know, sourcing finishes or producing drawings or that's mm -hmm. not leadership, that is production and that's the design work. And so when you're a leader, right. your job is not to actually be doing those things. Right. Now, it, to be fair, in a lot of organizations, uh, leaders are not pure makers or managers, they're kind of makeagers. Okay. Meaning that you know, you're doing some of the work because you have to do so. There's some expertise that you bring to the table, especially in an organization where you don't have like 500 employees, right? Like you're, you're bringing an expertise to the table that is unique to you, that needs to be leveraged. So there is some of the work probably that you need to be involved in doing. The question is, are you stepping in and controlling the work that other people are perfectly capable of doing, but instead, because of the need to control the work, you're stepping in and telling them what to do, not how to think about the work, because that does not scale. That's what Jim Collins calls the genius with a thousand hands, right? Which means you've got the, the genius guru sitting at the middle and everybody just kind of does their bidding and waits for them to tell them what to do. Well, that's fine, but that doesn't scale. You know, you're, you have a finite... Um, size that you can grow to in terms of impact, in terms of the work that you can do, because one person can only be personally involved in so many things. So if your aspiration is to continue to have more and more impact in the world, then you need to be investing in people who can think about the work through the same lens that you do. Jim Collins also talked about in How the Mighty Fall, this phenomenal book. Everybody loves to talk about Good to Great or Built to Last <laughs> or some of these other books he's written. My favorite book by him is called How the Mighty Fall because he talks about the, the decline of once great organizations and some of the signs. And one of the first signs is when people understand what works, but they don't understand why it works. So they can copy tactics all day long, but they don't understand why those tactics work. So when the circumstances change, 
they can't adapt the tactics to the new circumstances. Well, in a lot of creative organizations, people are just copying the tactics of their leader because their leader comes in and says, do this, do this, do this, do it this way. But they don't understand the strategy behind that, right? So part of our job as a leader is to teach people not just what to do, but why that works, to have regular why chats with our team and talk about the strategy behind the tactics. And can you just, um, just because it's hilarious, you give an example in the book of that where people might not understand why it's always been done this way. And you you have this example of, um, I think, this recipe that had been passed down through the story about the ham. Yeah, 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 yeah. This is it's it's a great old, analogy. Like, so it's funny. It is hilarious because like I've I've heard this story told like five thousand times. Like I've heard it in like you know uh, people speaking like old time motivational speakers. I've heard like preachers use it as examples. Yes, yeah, it's kind of funny. Um, so there was a family. They were having Thanksgiving dinner, and several generations of the family were over. And one of the grandchildren was making a. A ham for Thanksgiving dinner. And so she chopped off two ends of the ham and got ready to put it in the oven. And um, one of the other family members said, hey, why are you chopping off the ends of the ham? Like, why would you do that? She said, well, I don't know. That's what my my mother always did. Let me go ask mom. And so they went and asked the mother and said, why, why, mom, why do we chop off the ends of the ham before we put it in the oven? And she said, I, well, I don't know. That's what my mother always did. Let's go ask grandma. So they go and they ask grandma. They say, grandma, why do we always chop off the ends of the ham before we put it in the oven? And she said, well, when your grandfather and I were first married, all we could afford was this really small pan and we couldn't really afford to, you know, to, to buy anything bigger. So we had to chop off the ends of a ham to make it fit in the pan so it would go in the oven, right? So it's like this kind of, it worked for that purpose, but then it was sort of passed down by habit to generations thereafter. Totally. <laughs> and we do that all the time in our organizations, right? Like if you go into a lot of organizations and ask them, why do you do this this way? Like, why do you have this meeting at 10.15 a.m. every Thursday? Well, it's because my manager always had that meeting. Well, why did your manager have it? Well, it's because, you know, the manager before that always played golf until 10 a.m. in the morning. And so we had to have it at 10.15 or whatever it is, right? It's like we adopt these assumed behaviors and we just think, well, that's the way it's supposed to be. But the reality is often those are ghost rules. Those are invisible narratives that we invent, things like that'll never work around here. So-and-so will never go for that. And we live by these ghost rules in our organization that rob us of our effectiveness. Yeah, I just think that, that is just such a great analogy for the way that the work can be done. And I, I, it really, I, I agree. When your team understands why they're doing a task a certain way or why we might issue a, a set of drawings a certain way or why we choose a certain timing to connect with a client, then that empowers them to be able to navigate those nuances that are inherent in creative work. Um, and that's something that I have found also challenging uh, to lead is that having the team understand those nuances, like it's really easy when you have a set of rules. And if you go, you know, one plus one equals two, and then, you know, X, Y, Z. And if you just follow this recipe every time, it's going to be a guaranteed success. But that isn't always the case because of these factors like client and budget and timeline. And um, those things come into play all the time. And being able to navigate the work being so nuanced is part of what makes creative work so challenging and then part of what makes leading a creative team so challenging. 
Absolutely, which is why we need just enough structure to help us engage the work, but not so much structure that it becomes constrictive to the team. And um, you have that's part in, of the challenge, right? Yeah, you have you have um, this really great matrix or little quadrant. My team knows I love a, a good quadrant. I have one <laughs> that um, we have our uh, n- not important and important and then not mm-hmm. urgent and urgent quadrant. And so the idea is that when you put them together, you want to make sure that you're working on the most important and the most urgent work and that you're spending the least amount of the time on the not urgent and not important work. But you have a quadrant um, around stability and challenge, which is a little mm-hmm. bit different in that it's like if this if there's too much instability, how, do, how does it go? You, will you explain it? It's really good. Yeah. So if you have an environment of high challenge, but low stability, and so this is often like think startups, you know, where maybe they're trying to do something really difficult. They're still redefining the problem. They don't know exactly, you know, what they're trying to solve yet, but they, they know they have to solve a problem because they've got startup funding or they're bootstrapping maybe. So these are usually environments that are high challenge, low stability. Um, And sometimes when an organization takes on new business, let's say, for example, you have a 10-person organization that takes on a new client that will require 20 people, but you can't just hire 10 more people. You you have to sort of scale up as as revenue comes in. Well, then that's going to be an environment of high challenge, low stability, because you have people doing multiple jobs trying to get the work done. Um, That's fine for a season. And every organization is going to drift into this quadrant for a while because that's just the nature of doing difficult work or of growth, right? But you can't live in that quadrant forever. You can't live in the quadrant of high challenge, low stability, or over time, talented people will start to feel used. They'll start to feel abused. Um, They'll start seeking better horizons because they need more stability in order to thrive. Now, if it's a season, which it, we're all going to go through seasons of that. I go through seasons of that where it's, I'm out over my skis a little bit. I'm trying to figure it out as I go. We, we all have that. It just can't be all the time, right? Um, the, the, in that situation, your job as a leader is to figure out how do I instill some infrastructure, some stability so that my team has a little bit more structure. So they have a little bit more stability in what and, they're doing, or at least a, a finite season. You know, we, can, we also just say, hey, come next Tuesday, right? We're going to take three days where everybody's going to have a little bit of a break or whatever it is, but we just need to make sure that we're instilling some of that. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, and I was just going to jump in and ask there, um, do you... Are there things as a leader that you can do or um, tell tell signs that you, maybe there is too much challenge or too much instability happening in your organization? Like, how do you pick up on that? Because I think for sometimes, or at least for myself, being the leader and the business owner, it's like sometimes, like, I'm always looking at the financials, too, at the same time, right? And, like, mm. profitability and the health of the company is always paramount. And sometimes striving for that um, is, in, is in conflict, potentially, with the way the work is happening in, at our studio. Like maybe we're just too busy or people are overwhelmed or... Um, so how, as a leader, can you kind of pick up when there is too much challenge and too much instability? Are there signs of that? Yeah. Well, I would say one thing you can look for is just uh, needless, pointless conflict within the team. Mm-hmm. Um, if people are 
you know, you say, hey, good, you know, good news, we got a new project. And everybody throws their hands up, it's like, oh, are you kidding me? Right. And it just becomes a thing. Um, that's a great sign that maybe people are feeling a little out over their skis. Yeah, that's um, a good one. <laughs> if people are just burned out, if they just show up to work and it's just like, just tell me what to do. I'm just, you know, I, I don't have time to think about this. Just tell me what to do. Um, usually it's in conversation with people that, you know, people are good about putting on a, a face, especially for the, you know, the owner of the business or for, you know, somebody who is their boss's boss or whatever. Um, but it's in conversation, you know, Hey, how are things going right now? Do you need anything from me that, that, that you don't have right now? Like, what can I, what can I do for you right now? Um, it's in those kind of conversations that often the telltale signs of burnout begin to emerge where people say, you know, or how do you feel about the work that you're doing right now? Um, if people start saying, well, I just really wish I had more time to think about the work that I'm doing, I feel like I'm just cranking stuff out. You know, that's a great sign that people feel challenged, but maybe they're not, uh, they don't have the infrastructure, the stability that they need. And that's not where you want talented people to be. I mean, you're paying them because of their abilities. You want them to have the capacity to think and to strategize and to bring to you ideas that you may not have thought of yourself. I mean, that's when things get really exciting is when somebody has a better idea than you could have ever thought of. And you're like, wow, okay, that knocks anything I were to come up with out of the park. I mean, that's when things get really exciting, but we don't get there if we don't create the space for that. And so that would be one, I mean, I would just say, just be mindful of conflict, be, be mindful of you know, excessive burnout, be mindful of you know, people just getting snippy. Um, when people start rooting against the success of the business, uh, there's yeah. a phrase called that, that could be malicious. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, well, it's a fr and it doesn't mean that they don't like the business or they don't want the business to succeed, but they just can't handle anymore. And so there's a, there's a phrase called malicious cooperatives. This came out of some research a handful of years ago. That was the fastest growing um, segment of a lot of workplaces was malicious cooperatives. They were doing what they had to do to get the job done. They were secretly hoping the company would tank, uh, which is kind of a weird thing. But I think often that's the result of this high challenge, low stability environment where people just feel used and abused and they don't feel like they have what they need in order to thrive. So those would be a couple of things I would look mm -hmm. for. And clearly like a, a frustration there if, if you're feeling that way towards yeah. the company. Um, yeah, for sure. But you are really great at giving adv or advising that having those conversations and as a leader, really taking the time to have conversations with your team both in like individual and group settings. And it, you, you touch a lot on even um, ensuring that you're having, you know, weekly conversations, monthly conversations, quarterly conversations, um, and in refreshing um, myself for this interview and, and going back to the book. And it is, it just, it really reminded me how big of a job the leadership is if you want to do it well and how important it actually is to be connecting with your team as a group, but also individually to really be able to take stock of like, how, how are they doing? And, um, you also talk about that piece of allowing yourself to be a little bit vulnerable as a leader as well, right? Like there are things that you could probably do better, um, but you're never going to know unless you get that feedback from your team. Yeah, you have to be willing to listen to disconfirming information. And everybody will nod their head to that and say, yes, yes, yes. But then the moment somebody offers disconfirming information, they you know, immediately get defensive. Um, we have to be willing 
to listen to feedback, even if it's wrong. Okay, this, and this is important, a big part of building trust. There's a huge um, section of the book that's dedicated to this idea of building trust because trust is the currency of creative work. If you don't have trust, you cannot do great collaborative creative work. Um, a big part of that is the perception on the part of the team that you are willing to listen to them. That doesn't mean that you're going to act on their idea. And it's important that they need to understand permission to speak is not permission to make a decision within an organization because you have all kinds of considerations maybe uh, in your mind that they don't have to worry about, right? Again, you're thinking of P&L statements. You're thinking of, um, you know, the client relationship. You're thinking of all these things that they may not be considering, but you have to be willing to listen even if you feel like it's unfair feedback, or even if you feel like it's a profoundly terrible idea, you have to be willing to listen and, and give it, you know, give it some time, give it some space. Um, I say in the book that in Herding Tigers that um, leading is like living in a fishbowl in the middle of a firing range. That's kind of what it feels like. Like everybody can see what you're doing at all times and they feel free to take a shot whenever they want. I mean, when you become a leader, you forfeit your right to a fair trial. You just do, um, but you cannot play the victim. You know, you chose that, role. That's why I spent a lot of the time in the book saying like, are you sure you want to do this? Are you sure you want to do this? Because the moment you assume a leadership role, you're assuming all of those responsibilities and all of that baggage that's going to come with it, which is people are going to unfairly judge you. They're going to you know, be suspect about your motivations. They're going to second guess every decision you make. Um, you know, they're going to feel like you're not being fair to one person or another. I mean, it's just kind of the way it's, it's going to go. And so you have to be willing to assume that and you have to be willing to receive that feedback, even if it's profoundly unfair. It doesn't mean you have to agree, but you have to be willing to receive feedback from people. Mm -hmm. I love that so much. And going back to asking that question, like, are you sure you want to do this? Because I think sometimes mm -hmm. the title can be, you know, really, really shiny and really attractive or the idea of it um, going from a senior designer to the design team manager or something like that. The the idea of that moving forward and progressing in your career that way uh, could feel really shiny and attractive. But the reality of getting there and the reality of doing that job and making that transition is something that I've experienced in my own organization where it's not always the easiest transition to, to do and, and to make. Um, and you talk a lot about that transition from maker to manager and all of the stuff that comes with it. Um, maybe talk about that a little bit and, and some of the surprises that someone might, might encounter along the way when they're going through that. Yeah. So this is a, this is a real, problem for people in creative organizations because most people get into the work because they love what they do. I mean, think about yourself, right? Like you love to design. And so you become an interior designer and it's about doing the work and you love the work. And then suddenly now it's like you're leading a team of people and it's no longer about doing the work. It's about leading the work. Well, you know, that is a fundamentally different skill set. It's a fundamentally different mindset. And so the challenge I think for a lot of people is you get into doing something because you love the work. And then suddenly now you're not responsible for doing the work. You're responsible for leading it. Somebody comes along in a lot of organizations and they say, hey, you know what? You're a really good writer. You know what you should do? You should lead other writers. Well, maybe, maybe, or maybe not. Maybe that's not the right thing for that person. And so that's the, that's the real, we have to shift our mindset from being a maker your job's not to do the work, it's to lead the work, right? 
which means that your legacy is not the work. Your legacy is the people. Your legacy is the people that you're building into, that you're developing. That's your primary role. A good leader of creative teams accomplishes the work, which is where most people put a period, but that's not where the period goes, <laughs> while developing the team to tackle new and more challenging work. So par- a big part of your job is to develop your team to tackle new and more challenging work, which means building their capacity, helping them think about the work in the right ways, offering feedback, not by telling them what to do, but by asking a lot of really good questions. So, huh, this is, a, you know, I never would have done it this way. I mean, you might be in your mind, you might be thinking, this is the absolute worst, ugliest thing I've ever seen in my life. Like I have no idea what rationale led to this decision to do it this way. But what your mouth is saying is, that's a really interesting creative choice that you made. Help me understand your rationale. You explain to me why you chose to go this, go this direction. First of all, there could be a really good strategy with really poor execution. And you, the, the solution might be, oh, I love your line of thinking. I just, I'm not in love with the execution of it. Is there a different execution we could get to for that strategy, right? Or it could be that they got to a certain point in the process where you say, hey, help me understand why you went this way instead of that way. And you can say, okay, instead of what if, instead of going this way, what if you went that way? How might that change how you would approach this work? And let them talk about it. Let them arrive at the solution. What you're doing is you're walking them through not just what to do, but how to think about it. If you just step in and say, I hate this, do this instead, they're going to say, great, just tell me what to do. Next time, they're just going to say, just tell me what to do. Yeah, way too hands off. Way too hands off. And you're not leveraging the talent of the people on your team, right? Your world becomes a smaller and smaller set of concentric circles centered on you. And everybody's going to be looking to you to make the decisions. Well, that's not an organization. That's, again, the genius with a thousand hands or whatever, right? Like, that's what it is. And you can't have that. I go into a lot of creative agencies, creative organizations, where you you might have dozens or hundreds of employees And they have like a couple of divas that sort of sit at the center of these gurus that sit at the center and are like, you know, and telling everybody what to do. And I'm like, this is a profoundly dysfunctional environment. It just is, you know, that's not to say you can't have talented, opinionated people on your team. Of course you can, right? But the problem is if everybody's shutting their brain off and just looking to that person, that's a really dysfunctional environment. And it's not one in which you're going to get talented people. You know, eventually you're just going to have people who are willing to just collect a paycheck and do what they're told, but that's not the way that you build an effective organization over time. Oof. And you're you're saying this, and I'm thinking about the audience who uh, watches my YouTube channel and who will be listening to this, and um, they are, uh, you know, a big uh, group is entrepreneurs and business owners and designers as well. And I feel like what you're saying is going to resonate so hard with. Uh, the audience, because I'm sure, like I, I struggle with that. And and as you're talking, I, you know, and I have to do a kind of a self check there and ask myself, like as a leader, um, and it is challenging when you are the face of your brand, like I am, and right. uh, when people are coming to House of Bond or when they're hiring us, a big component is because of me. And but at the same time. 
when I hire, I'm hiring talented people around me. I see something in them. They are creative. They are, they have an exceptional talent and I want to pull that out of them because I don't want to have all the answers. And in fact, when I'm in a situation where it feels like, oh my gosh, I have to have all the answers or I don't feel like enough people around me are also thinking about the work, that is a really paralyzing, stressful situation as a, as a leader or in my situation because it's 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 so much pressure, um, and as you're talking, I'm just I'm doing a self check and thinking about like yeah, it really is about empowering your team and the people around you so that they can be part of creating the work, um, and that it's I'm not I'm the only diva in the room. <laughs> yeah, well, so I will say this: the most valuable thing that you bring to the organization as a leader is your intuition. It's the thing that you provide that other people may not be able to provide because they don't have the context. They don't have the experience. They haven't seen as much as you have. Maybe they, maybe they don't have the talent you do. Maybe they're more talented than you are, but they just don't have the context to understand not just what can we do, but what should we do. That's the difference between understanding and wisdom. Understanding is, oh, I know all the things we could do. Let's do this and this and this. Wisdom says, ah, there are only two of these options that we really should consider, right? And that's what a, an effective, mature leader brings to the organization is that intuition. So there's a difference between being a diva and saying, do this and this and this, and I don't want to hear any other options, and saying, bring me all of your ideas, and I'm going to help us think through not just what can we do, but what should we do, because I am uniquely perched to be able to make that decision. That's not a diva. That's actually the wise sage of the organization. And that's a great role for a leader to play, right? Yeah. What I you love don't that want you're to do saying this. Is- I, sorry, I'm, I'm going to jump in here. I love that you're saying this because that yeah. is some, you're, you're like defining something that I felt where uh, often with a project or a client, or maybe I'll have, I think it's just that a different type of context. And maybe it's because I, know that client from a previous relationship or um, I have a sort of an idea of what they're looking for in a project. And so when ideas come to the table, there is a certain intuition that I feel right. where when I'm looking across, you know, or we have a big collaboration table where it'll be full of um, images and ideas, especially when we're in that early like ideation and concept phase. And I'll have just sort of this my spidey senses will tell me that this is a suitable direction to go in. Whereas over here, this might not be a suitable direction just because I have that intuition, I guess, about the project or the client. So I love that you're defining those two things as separate, having the intuition and being a diva. Yeah. Yeah. And and you know that there are a hundred concepts that you could show to a client, right? I mean, you could you could show them yeah. everything, yeah. but they're going to be paralyzed. So part of your job then is to say, what are the three things we're going to show them and kind of let them like, what are the three different canvases that we're going to give them and let them choose the canvas. And then great. Now we can dive deeper versus, you know, Hey, let's show them a hundred things. And let's just see, because you, as you know, and I know, like most people don't know what they want until they see it. And if you give them a hundred options, they're never going to get where they want to be. And that's true of clients. It's true. It's true of organizations, managers, you know. So part of our job then as leaders is to say, okay, my intuition, my wisdom, because my experience tells me these are the three core concepts that we should put in front of a client. And then, you know, 
most likely they're going to resonate with one more than the other. And then we can maybe show three examples of that uh, concept, right? And sort of start to narrow it down even more. But um, that, that's something that you are uniquely perched to do as a leader because of your, because of your purview, because of your experience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, going back to this shift with from maker to manager for a second again. And you talked in the book about um, this idea. So I'm going to paraphrase this a little bit, but it's kind of making the shift from maybe when you were a maker, you're with your coworkers, you're all peers or you're all friends. And when you move to a management role, you now move from being a friend to a coach. And there's a different... Uh, dynamic that is inherent with that maybe career move that I think can be unsettling to a lot of people. And I've seen this in my own organization that it's really challenging, um, can be really challenging, and I think really um, maybe unexpected. Maybe people don't realize that like the promotion sounds great. I'm I'm going to move from senior designer to design team manager or whatever. And but with that. Now that shifts the dynamic between you and your coworkers. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Because, you know, you, you can be friends with people you're peers with, but, and you can be friends with people that you lead, but there's that extra layer of, oh, and by the way, I can fire you. Right. And, um, I need to keep enough distance where, um, if I need to fulfill that responsibility I have now as an organizational leader, I need to be able to do that. Um, and so that's where it gets really tricky. People, um, and I hope I'm not stepping on any toes by saying this, I don't know anything about your organization, but you know, people often talk about organizations being families, right? Like, oh, we're a family and you know, we're, you know, it's, we just, we love each other. Work we're just family. like a family. <laughs> yeah. Right, yeah, exactly. And, and you know, that's fine, but I think it's really, unfortunate and damaging because, um, you know, no matter what my, I have three kids, no matter what my three kids do, like I can't fire them for a breach of duty, right? Like they're always going to be part of our family. I may disagree with them. We may not talk for a while, which by the way, is not happening. We have a lovely relationship, but I'm just saying like over the course of our life, like, you know, if somebody does something that we don't like, we can't get rid of them. They're always going to be part of our family. Whereas in an organization, if you don't live up to the expectations of the organization, you're going to be fired, you know, and that's just the way it is. So I think you're sending, it's almost a little bit abusive to tell somebody, oh, you're family, because no, I mean, if you don't live up to the expectations, we're, we're going to get rid of you. Mm-hmm. And so I think the same thing applies to this friendship thing where it's like, listen, um, I will be, I can be friends with you, but you also have to understand that I have responsibility here and I have to be impartial. I have to be objective about how I make decisions about who gets promoted and who doesn't. And, um, you know, if we're going to lunch every single day because we're good old friends from the old team and nobody else is ever invited to those lunches or I'm going to happy hour with you every day or whatever it is, um, when the time comes around for promotions to be granted and maybe I choose you or maybe I choose someone else. Like that's going to get really tricky in the organization when people are like, well, of course Todd chose Karen. They go to happy hour every day or, you know, they hang out with each other's families on the weekends every week, you know, or whatever. It gets really tricky. So that's why in, in the book, I don't say you can't be friends. I just say you have to be very careful about creating some distance. You have to be careful about ensuring that you have at least the perception of objectivity within the organization 
Because if not, you're just asking for trouble down the line. Yeah, yeah. And uh, what I what I really love about this book too is that it's, I think this book applies to anyone, like if you're in my position where you're a business owner um, and leading the creative work, whether you work inside an organization big or small, or even if you're up for promotion, <laughs> I feel like this is an awesome book to read um, because there is so much insightful, um, like we've talked, we've talked about so much here and, and I think it also helps people potentially do that self-assessment on whether or not they really are up for the job of leading a creative team. Now, yeah. oh yeah, go ahead. I would just say one more thing. I would also say it also should make a lot of organizational leaders consider the question, how do we create bandwidths of rewards for people in organizations that don't require them to become leaders in order to make more money, in order to have a better title, in order to do some of these other things? Because a lot of, a lot of the time in organizations, if you want to make more money, you automatically, like the only way to do that is you have to start leading other people. You right. have to become a team manager. Well, maybe you're just a really great designer. Maybe you're just a really great writer who's in, invaluable to the organization, but the only way you can make money is if you become an art director or you become a creative director or you become a, an accounting manager or whatever it is, right? That's the only way to, to make more money. We need to be better about thinking about how do I reward that rock star designer and make it valuable for them to be around here without having to become a leader because maybe not everybody's equipped for that. Oh, and I love that you're saying that too, because I think there's a little bit of, I'm listening to you and going like, yeah, not everybody in my organization needs to grow to this like management type of role. Like if someone really just loves doing interior design work and they really love the work, then let them do that and grow within that rather than taking them or pushing them out of that position and into a management or leadership position, which requires a whole different skill set and a whole different um, responsibility that they might not be up for. For sure. And and there are some, I mean, I've worked with some business owners where um, you know, I've told them like, you should not be the leader of your organization. Yeah. You know, maybe <laughs> yeah. you should be the creative director or you should be the operations, chief operations officer. You can still be the owner of the business, but like, your unique skill set is something other than what's required to be like a CEO, right? Or to be like the publicly facing person in the organization. Um, and that's always, it's a difficult conversation, but it's a really valuable conversation because people need to separate between I am the owner and I am the executive officer of this thing. And sometimes people are just like really great at, you know, producing music videos are really great at, you know, producing records, but they don't, they shouldn't be the owner of the record label or the, or the executive of the record label just because they're really great at producing records, right? No, just make records all day long and let somebody mm -hmm. else run the business, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's always a difficult conversation as well. Yeah. Yeah. Now, um, I'm going to shift gears here for just a second and touch on your podcast because okay. you've got a great well, you have two podcasts going. You have one for Accidental Creative and then one for Herding Tigers. Um, I've listened to numerous episodes of the Herding Tigers podcast and I love it so much also. Like sometimes if I just need a really good dose of inspiration on my way to the office, then I'll put on Todd Henry's podcast. And then there's always some kind of insight that I have. And then I'm always can't wait to share it with my team. They're, they're like, you've been listening to Todd Henry's podcast again, haven't you? Um, 
<laughs> but there was one thing that I picked up in the well, actually, before we go into that, I do want to go back to you. So you mentioned that you started your first podcast in 2005 before podcasting was like really a thing. So yeah. how, where did that inspiration come from? Like where where did you get the idea to do this at a time when you had to educate people how to even listen to it? So um, I have always, I, I sort of had this in, instinct that part of my, what I was going to be doing was teaching in some capacity, um, you know, teaching in the world. And obviously my passion was leading creative people. And I found a huge um, gap in the marketplace. Uh, you know, it's funny now because you look, you look now at the marketplace, there are all these podcasts about creativity and leadership and all this stuff. I mean, there was none of that. There weren't books really. Like there wasn't anything about that at the time. And so this, I had read a couple of articles about this new thing called podcasting. I came out of the, uh, you know, the music space, right? So I had, you know, an audio background. So I had most of the gear I would need to be able to do it. Um, I knew a little bit about the tech space. So I knew how to like create an XML file and put it on a server and like upload audio files and all this like geek. I mean, we were literally, I mean, that language now is like Greek to most people, but like that was um, at the time, I mean, it was like we were hand building XML files, you know, and adding new episodes to wow. an RSS feed via like, an R it, was, it was like a crazy time. Um, but it, I knew that a, I, I, my teaching worked well over audio. Um, YouTube wasn't really a thing then. So video wasn't really a thing. It was a space I could be good at. I could own. Um, it was a way for me to reach people wherever they were. And it was kind of an emerging technology. And so it was just something I thought, hey, I'll try this. I put a couple of episodes out, honestly, and forgot. Like I put like maybe five episodes out. Forgot about it for like a month or two. Because, you know, I'm like, I've got like a family. I've got like a job. You know, I'm, I'm doing other stuff. And I come back to look for podcasts to listen to. And there was a podcast called The Accidental Creative that was one of the top podcasts on iTunes. And my thought was, oh no, I stole someone else's name. I can't believe I didn't check first to make sure there wasn't already a podcast called The right. Accidental Creative. And it, it was my podcast that was one of the top podcasts. I'm like, are you kidding me? And there were thousands of people listening right out of the gate. And so it just kind of, I mean, I've had people... We're now 17 years in. Um, mm -hmm. We're celebrating next month our 17th year anniversary. Well, that's the thing. When you and say 2005, it doesn't sound like it's that long ago. But when you actually do the math, that's 17 years ago. So it's been a minute. 17 years. And <laughs> yeah, and, well, and the funny thing is too, people talk about like, oh, I'm one of the OG podcasters. Like I started my podcast in 2013. I'm like, what? <laughs> what are you talking about, right? Um, and so, you know, so... The, the funny thing is like, we still have people listening and I'll get emails from people who have been listening since 2006. And they'll say, oh, I still remember when you talked about this idea of dissonance back in 2006. And like, I'm still talking about it, right? I'll still like introduce it from the Accidental Creative book. And it's just really fun because it feels like this community is kind of built over time. And I've got people who have been around for 17 years and people who discovered me last week, which is really fun. Mm -hmm. um, but no matter what, like the dynamics don't, change. We're still talking about the same stuff 17 years later because this is human nature. Organizations are made of people and there are certain human dynamics that are not going to change because it's just wired into our nature. And mm -hmm. so 
It's mm-hmm. been really fun to watch the community grow and evolve. Yeah. Well, I mean, thank you so much for doing the work that you do. It's, um, I will say to you right now, I mean, I just appreciate it so much and I've loved I love listening to your podcast. I love, I picked up Hurting Tigers. It was a few years ago. And like I said, it just, when I read that book, I felt very seen as a leader of a creative organization. And I was like, oh my gosh, there's so much great stuff in here. And it helped me put words to things that I was maybe already feeling or struggling with or some challenges that I were encountering, but maybe didn't know how to articulate it. And so in that way, reading it, um, Yeah, I felt very seen and also very equipped after reading it to maybe handle certain challenges a little bit differently. And then picking up the book again and just going through it for this interview, there were other parts that really spoke to me now a few years later that are maybe challenges today. So for anyone who is... uh, leading a creative team, whether it's your own company or whether you're in an organization or whether you're thinking about leading a creative team, I highly, highly recommend Hurting Tigers. Um, Todd, this has been an amazing interview. You have so much insight and definitely a special kind of genius. So I'm honored that you're here on the podcast and have been able to share this wisdom with us. Tell us, tell the audience where they can get your book, where they can find you. Yeah, uh, my books are available wherever books are sold. So just search for Todd Henry. It's a pretty, I'm, I am blessed with a very common, easy to spell name. So T-O-D-D-H-E-N-R-Y. Um, just do a search, you'll find my books. And uh, then you can find me at toddhenry.com. Uh, my podcast is there. You can listen to podcasts wherever you listen to Karen's podcast. Um, it's available wherever podcasts are found as well. And I'm on all of the socials at Todd Henry as well. Amazing. Well, for those of you that are listening, definitely, if there's something insightful about this interview, please tag myself and Todd. Let us know because we'd love to hear from you. And Todd, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so much for the invitation. What a fun conversation. Todd and I covered so much ground. And like I said, there was just so many great takeaways from the book. I feel like we could have kept talking for another hour if we had the time to do that because there was just so many topics to cover. But definitely a very meaty, robust conversation. I personally took away two main points that I've been thinking about since having this interview. One was the idea of a genius with a thousand hands. I love that Todd talked about it in that way and talked about the difficulty in scaling a business if your organization is structured that way, in a a way where you have one diva, so to speak, or one genius with a thousand hands. Now, of course, it depends what kind of industry you're in and what kind of work that you do, because when I think about one of my interior design role models, Kelly Wurstler, who I'm sure many of you are familiar with, I would say that she's probably working within that model, the genius with a thousand hands. She's very, very creative, has a certain look and style and point of view when it comes to interior design. And that point of view is integral to the success of her business and her brand. That said, I completely understand that scaling a business can be very difficult if 
that point of view is not necessarily as strong as maybe someone like Kelly Wurstler. And you would want to be able to empower and develop your team to take risks, take creative liberties, and be able to think on their own and help grow the organization. So just a really interesting thought there. Another takeaway for me was the idea that not everybody necessarily needs to grow into a leadership position. Leadership is a very different role and skill set than actually producing creative work. And for the people that are on your team who are amazing at producing creative work, that in itself can be enough. They don't necessarily need to move to a management or leadership role, which takes them out of their genius and puts them into potentially another role that they might not even be as satisfied doing anyways. So those two concepts for me were really great takeaways. I'm so curious to know what you took away from this conversation or what really resonated with you. Definitely let us know comment below and the show notes or let us know on Instagram. A lot of you have been sending me DMs or, or tagging me on Instagram. Make sure you also tag Todd Henry, just at Todd Henry, because we'd both love to hear from you. And uh, I hope you really enjoyed this conversation. Thanks all of you for listening to this episode. As always, love you guys and we'll see you in the next one. Bye.